There in the ground His body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave, He arose again. And as He stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am His, and He is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. That's part of in Christ alone. We sing that. We won't sing it today, but we will sing it soon. Um, a song that we love to sing. But today, we are seeing that portrayed in the book of Hebrews. That's pointing us back and forward and showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in your Bible. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Just an aside, we do that every Sunday. <laughs> but it's particular focus uh, today on the resurrection of Jesus. So we're going to just look into uh, Hebrews chapter 7, 23 to 25 and see both the necessity and the benefits of Christ's resurrection. And just a summary of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is showing the superiority of Christ. Over everything as creator. Over the angels. Over Moses. Over the old covenant. And the old covenant priesthood. All of that was, was pictures of and pointing forward to him. He is superior. And his covenant is superior. His sacrifice is superior. Preeminent. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. And in the section we're sort of diving into this morning, it's showing the superiority of his high priesthood. The, the, the order of Melchizedek. He's the only one. Mormonism is wrong and other people. He is the only one who hasn't. He ever lives. Makes him qualified to be this new type of priest that is fulfillment of the old type of priesthood that we see in the Old Testament. But the main thing I want you to come away seeing this morning is that salvation requires and flows from Jesus' resurrection. And without his resurrection, there is no salvation. No hope. But salvation requires and flows from Jesus' resurrection. First, salvation requires Jesus' resurrection or requires resurrection. I'll read again verses 23 and 24. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Contrast. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. I just want to quickly cover a little bit of background because if you're new to the Bible, this talk of priesthood and high priests and all these things, these things might be new to you. But as God, after he had delivered his, he's created a people, he's, he's, they've gone into Egypt, they've gone into a form of captivity, he's delivered them out of Egypt and taken them to Mount Sinai where he will give his law. And part of what he outlines in that law is the tabernacle which will become the temple permanently in Jerusalem. But you've probably heard of the tabernacle. The tabernacle is a lot of things, but everything in it is pointing to Jesus. And the tabernacle is a visible presentation of God's overarching covenant promise throughout the Bible to be 
his God to his people. They're his people. He's their God and he will dwell with them. So that we see that refilled. I don't even know what word that. Fulfilled in Revelation 21 where God dwells with no separation with his people. But the, the, the tabernacle is a picture of the promise and the problem. All, all in one. And his promise is to dwell with his people. And go all the way back to Leviticus 26, 11. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. Again, fulfilled. We see it in Revelation 21, new heavens, new earth. Just a quick picture of the tabernacle layout and the, the camp around the tabernacle. In the middle, where the smoke is coming from, would be the tabernacle. And outside of the tabernacle would be the priests. In the, in the middle square there, those are, those are the priests around the temple. And then the tribes of Israel. So even in the camp, you can see that there's, there's, there's a separation. The closest ones to the tabernacle, and thus where God dwells with His special presence among His people, are the priests who serve Him there. With the campment all around and God's presence in the Holy of Holies uh, among the, the mercy seat. When you know the tabernacle didn't contain him or fully contain him, but his special presence among his people was manifested there. But you kind of see even there the 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 there's a there's a promise and a problem. Everybody's not right up close. And you see it inside the tabernacle, there's a little bit more of a a picture of the problem inside where only the priest can come to minister. There's an altar and a laver and you come through into the holy place and a lot of the priests can go in there. But then when you get to the, the holy of holies, there's this veil. Cindy's word, I'm going to fall. There's a veil right here, a very thick veil all the way ceiling to floor, side to side that that is blocking the way into the Holy of Holies where God's special presence above the mercy seat on the ark dwelt. And only the, the picture of the problem is that you had to come in through sacrifice. That's why the altar is, altar is first. You come into the holy place and then in the Holy of Holies only one person could go. And only one time of year. And that was the high priest. Only one time of year. And that was the day of atonement when he would sacrifice not only for his own sins, but the sins of the people and take that blood into the Holy of Holies and drop it on the mercy seat. So you see God's plan in the tabernacle to dwell with his people is a picture of that, is a type of that. And then we see the problem though. There's a problem because the people are separated from the special presence of God. And only the high priest one time of year can go into the Holy of Holies and not without sacrifice. There had to be a sacrifice for his sins and for the people's sins that was, was offered there. Why do we need a priest? Because sinners need someone to represent them to God. We can't just saunter into God's presence as sinful people. Nadab and Abihu tried to go in their own way. I'll let you read that about that, but they, they did, it didn't work out so good for them. Sinners need someone to represent them, and the priests represent them and offered sacrifices, and especially the high priest 
who would take that sacrifice into the Holy of Holies once a year. But there's also a problem with that. The, not only were the priests, first the priests were insufficient. They were mortal men. Look back in our text in, in Hebrews 7. The former priests were many in number. There was a bunch of them. Why? Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. They were mortal men. They were sinful men set apart, set apart for a special purpose. And they kept dying. <laughs> so you had to have one after the other, after the other, after the other. Because because of death, they couldn't conti continue in their office. That's what our text is saying. They were prevented by death from continuing in office. And listen, not only were they insufficient for the task. See, all of this points forward and pictures Jesus, the priests, the, temp, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the prophecies, the promises. It's all pointing forward to Jesus. There's, the gospel is there. And the people are saved the same way we are if they trust through the sacrifices in the coming Messiah. But those sacrifices, those priests in and of themselves were insufficient and those sacrifices were insufficient. Same book we're looking at, Hebrews, but watch this. It says in chapter, chapter 10, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased. To, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So, one of the purposes of those sacrifices was a yearly reminder, right? In verse four, for it is impossible, not possible, doesn't happen. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It is impossible for animals dying to take away human sin. So what those Old Testament sacrifices did was cover and point to the coming true sacrifice that would take away sins. Which is Christ. And, and again, you can read more. But see, there's a dilemma in the Old Testament system. There is no perfect high priest to represent the people. They keep dying. And they're sinful. They're sinful people. And there is no perfect or, or sufficient sacrifice in the Old Covenant. Because they're animals. And animals can't die for people. They were sufficient for their purpose at the time, but their purpose was to cover and to point to the coming Messiah pointing forward to the true and perfect high priest. It says the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, and then I say, but wait. Our high priest died too. Jesus died too. Not because he was sinful. Not because he was mortal. But he died too. 
Remember, I just read that to you in 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 3, it says what Paul was delivering that was of first importance was the gospel. Now watch. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. The scriptures there meaning those Old Testament Scriptures which pictured and promised and pointed to and are fulfilled in Him. But He died not for His own sins. He died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He died because He was representing and sacrificing Himself for His people. And it's interesting that in the fulfillment in Jesus, He's both the priest and the sacrifice. The sacrifice He offers is the sacrifice of Himself for His people. John the Baptist got it when, when he saw Jesus and pointed out to his disciples. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just of the Jews, but from people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's how to interpret world there. Quick, quick, done. But how... Was He the Lamb of God? What did He do? Well, 1 Corinthians 15.3 told us, and we see it in the Old Testament sacrifices, He died. The, the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall die. God even said to Adam, in the day you eat of it, you will die. And the death talked about here is more than just the physical agony. I'm sure you're all familiar with a famous movie that came out that just made it pretty, it's kind of weird, I thought. But it made the biggest point, the physical agony he went through. The physical agony Jesus went through in being crucified was horrendous. But it was nothing. Nothing compared to the spiritual suffering. The enduring of God's wrath. His just wrath. His justice against the sin of His people. And listen, if Jesus stays dead, He's no better than the Old Testament priest. In fact, He's worse. If Jesus stayed dead, He's worse. C.S. Lewis was famous for saying, with Jesus, you have the choice. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Them's your choices. If he didn't rise from the dead, he wasn't a good man. Because he said he would. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be one with the Father. He came, claimed to be, you know, coming again, riding on the clouds of heaven. If he wasn't raised from the dead, that's not true. So he's either a liar or a lunatic if he wasn't raised from the dead. But if he was raised from the dead, he is Lord. And guess what? He was raised from the dead on the third day. I say this all the time. You can go look at it. Many people have been converted trying to disprove it. The resurrection is the most provable fact of history if you don't use a double standard investigating history. But if Jesus did not rise from the grave, he's worse than all of the Old Testament priests because he lied. He said he would. And God lied. He said he would. In the Testament. The Old Testament. But watch what it says in Hebrews chapter 7. 
It says that after verse 23, they, they couldn't continue because they were prevented by death. It says, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He continues forever. Now, if he died, and we all know he died, he died and he continues forever, there had to be a change there. If he was dead and yet he continues forever, there was a resurrection. And there was. And the resurrection proves him to be the perfect high priest, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Savior who, came, who did what he came to do. And even as his name testified, Jesus, you know what the name Jesus? Yeshua, Hebrew. Jesus, Greek name. Yeshua, Hebrew means the Lord is salvation. And the angel said, name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And he saves us by dying for us, by being rise, raised for us, for our justification. Without the raising part, there is no salvation in Jesus. Look again at 1 Corinthians 15, 3, and I'll add verse 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, watch, that He was raised the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. All of the prophecies in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53 is just one, that He would die and be raised has happened in Jesus and therefore, he continues forever. And therefore, he has a permanent priesthood. And he will never die again. To be raised, listen, just quickly. To be raised, he had to be both God and man. He couldn't be just a man. If you say Jesus is just a man, you have another Jesus, a false Jesus. To be raised, He had to be God and man. To represent us, He had to be God and man. Listen, to sustain the wrath of God due the sins of His people on that cross, He had to be divine. A mortal could never drink that cup dry. That's why He sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane when He was thinking about what He was facing. He had to be a God to sustain the wrath of God, to satisfy the justice of God, to drink the cup dry, to be able to say before he passed this world, it is finished, paid in full. But he also had to be man. He had to be human. Because he had to be human. He had to be of like nature to represent us. And he was. Second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, took to himself a true human nature to live in fulfillment of his own law, to provide a perfect righteousness, to die to pay the, for the sin penalty of his people, and to be raised from the grave, to reign, to be our perfect high priest. And one of the things his resurrection does, listen to me, it proves everything in here is true. Because Jesus' theory of inspiration was jot and tittle. Not a jot or a tittle will pass away until all is fulfilled. It's all the Word of God. <coughs> Jesus believed in the Word of God. He was the incarnate Word of God. And His resurrection proves Him to be that. Proves Him to be the Son of God. Proves Him to be the Savior of the world. Proves Him to, for the Gospel to be true. 
So he's our perfect high priest. He's the God-man who sustained the wrath due our sin. Listen, God is holy and righteous and pure, of too pure of eyes to look on sin with approval. He certainly can't have it abide in his presence. He's not like a grandparent who can sweep the sins of the grandchild under the rug. For you to be reconciled to God, justice had to be satisfied, and it was satisfied in Jesus Christ, his son, so that you might receive him as a free gift and be saved. It is finished. You know what happened to that veil when Jesus died? I can't imagine being a priest in the holy place when that happened. It was, I mean, this is a thick veil. It was torn in two from top to bottom. The way is open. Because everything that Old Testament system pictured has come to fruition in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in His death, the separation has been solved. Our sins separate us from God. But His death paid the penalty and opens the way. The veil was torn in two. He continues forever. He was raised from the grave never to die again. He is our perfect high priest. And you might say, so what? How does that benefit me? Already hinted at a lot of it, but the second point is salvation flows from the resurrection. Now look at this. There are two things promised here for those who draw near to God. So I'm going to talk about drawing near to God first and then the, the two things that surround it. It says those who draw near to God, how? How do we draw near to God? If you represent yourself, you won't make it. You've not been good enough. You, you cannot save yourself by your own deeds. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. None of us have kept the law in thought, word, and deed. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3. We can't save ourselves. And listen, without Jesus, you won't be accepted. So we can't approach Him with our works. Salvation is not a you work for it thing. It's not a you be good enough thing. Because you know what? I'll tell on everybody this morning. None of us can. The first thing it requires is humility. To believe that. And the way that we approach Him is by faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We come to Him by faith. And we are received. What He requires is faith. Faith to trust His Son. Will you forsake everything else and trust in Jesus for salvation? The risen, reigning, high priest, Lord, King, prophet, priest, and King who has sacrificed Himself for our sins. Will you trust Him as your sacrifice and your substitute? Let's very simply, do you believe that He was raised from the grave? I don't want to attack you. I'm not attacking you, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. If you don't believe he was raised from the grave, you are not a Christian. And I love you enough to tell you that so that you might examine things. Romans, and I'm not getting that from me. Look at the word. Romans 10, 9 to 13. We have to trust him as our sacrifice. Him as our righteousness. Him as our reconciliation with God. And the cool thing is it's a free gift if you simply will turn and trust Him.
Receive him. Cry out to him. Save me, Lord Jesus. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Romans 10, 9-13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and watch this, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The people you'll see baptized next week, believe this. They're trusting in Jesus. They believe he died, was buried, and was raised from the grave. And that he is their salvation. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Look, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But you, when you're calling on the name of the Lord, you're calling on the name of the risen Lord. And if the Spirit of God isn't working, you applying the Word to your heart, you will believe that He died for your sins, that He was raised from the grave. Do you believe Jesus was raised from the grave? Do you believe He ascended into heaven? He's reigning. He's reigning to see, not make you comfortable. He's reigning to see His gospel goes to the end of this sinful, dark world. And He's coming again someday. But we approach Him through faith. That's the way we draw near. That's the only way we can draw near. Because if we don't come with His righteousness on, we sing, we can't come. But look at the promises for those who draw near in this text. Now watch. First he says, consequently. That's a good translation of what's there. Consequently, what? Consequently, what? Since he was raised from the grave, since he lives forever, since he is the permanent high priest who is the sufficient sacrifice and offers that to God on behalf of his people, consequently, watch this, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near through him. He's able to save through completely. Forever, those who trust Him. It doesn't say He saves us 99% and then 1% is left up to you. He's done everything He can do and you need to do. Great Greek word for that. Hogwash. He's either all Savior or no Savior. You will trust Him Repent and trust Jesus or you'll perish. And that's not mean. That's grace because Christ has come to live for us, die for us, and be raised for us. But it says He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. He's able to save 100%. All earned by Him. He's able to perfect those who draw near to God through Him. Watch this from the same book. Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering of himself, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The people given to him that he lived for, died for, was raised for, the people who trust in him and are justified. Justified is a courtroom. His judgment is brought into the present. You're in a courtroom. And you are in Jesus Christ. So the judge declares you righteous. Even though the prosecutor wants to condemn you for your sin. The evil one. Your own heart. 
Justification is what happens when you come to faith. As soon as you trust Jesus, you are united to Him, hidden in Him, if you like that language, and justified or declared righteous in Him. If you're trusting in Jesus, your your position before God on the records of heaven is perfect righteousness. Because His righteousness is given to you. But God doesn't stop there. He begins from the point you come to Jesus, He begins transforming you into His image through His Word. It's all free grace. It's all from Jesus. It's all through faith. And He even gives us the faith. For a single, by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's everyone who is truly trusting in Him. We've been raised to newness of life. Our hearts are different. Therefore, our lives are different. And we're growing in joyfully. Obeying Him. But our salvation is based on nothing that we do. Our acceptance with God is based on nothing we do and everything that Jesus is and did. If you'll have salvation, it'll be from Christ and Christ alone. So the first thing is He saves completely those who come to God through Him. He doesn't leave any of it up to us. Right? We work in our sanctification. That's just our growing in grace. That's not merit. He accepts us through faith. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who was raised from the grave. Or else, as we saw in our reading in 1 Corinthians 15, your faith is futile. You do not want futile faith. It won't pay off. Now look at this. It not only says that He's able to save through the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, but look at since, since, since he always lives to make intercession. I mean, for them. He entered into the true holy of holies in heaven with the fruit of his sacrifice for his people. He's not being sacrificed over and over again, but the, the proof is there. The sacrifice, the representation is there. He's our high priest in the true holy of holies, interceding by his presence. For his people and praying for us continually, specifically, personally, every moment of every day. That could be a whole series of sermons, so read more about the intercession of Christ. But I'll give you one nugget from the Westminster Larger Catechism. Catechisms are simply questions and answers used to train people up in the faith. They only have authority in that they reflect what Scripture teaches. There's, you know, but they're good tools. But the, the larger catechism, question 55, in answer, talking about Christ's intercession, says this. Christ makes intercession by His appearing in our nature continually before the Father in heaven. Deity incarnate. In the merit of his obedience and sacrifice on earth, declaring his will to have it applied to all believers, answering all accusations against them, and procuring for them a quiet, quiet of conscience, notwithstanding daily failings, access with boldness to the throne of grace and acceptance of their persons and services. Christ represents us. Christ intercedes for us. Christ has sacrificed himself for us. He is our high priest who reigns for us and who prays for us, who died for us and who was raised from 
the grave. Just a couple of things and, and I'm done. But it's things I really want you to think about. Because there's, there's a lot of confusion out there. Listen to me. And I've already said it. Without the resurrection, there is no salvation. I mean, Paul said it in the scripture reading. If we only have hope in this life, we're most to be pitied. We're giving up this stuff and there's nothing we're going to. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die if there is no resurrection. Death would not be defeated if there is no resurrection. Sin would not be atoned for if there is no resurrection. And listen, any Christianity, I'm putting it in quotes, that does not believe in and proclaim the resurrection is a false Christianity. It is worthless. It will do you no good. I don't understand it. In one way I do, but if it's not a resurrection Christianity, it's not a true Christianity. That's not me talking. You've heard the word. You're saved if you believe in Christ who was raised from the grave. Christianity is about being a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, saved by Christ. It's not about primarily do good and be good. Not about having a God who's a genie that you just rub the bottle when you're in trouble. Who grants you three wishes. Who doesn't bother you unless you're in trouble. Who really doesn't care how you live. As long as you're nice. A lot of nice people are going to be in hell. Because they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, I didn't come for this this morning. I'm like, well, this is what you got. Because this is gospel. I want you to come back. Love to serve with you the rest of my days. But if this offends, this is gospel. And I'm willing to take that chance. Out of love for you. Christianity. I'll say it again in case you are asleep. Any Christianity that does not believe in the resurrection of Christ is useless. It's foolishness. It is to be avoided. It won't save But He is risen. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. And the third day He was raised from the grave. He is risen. And it proves His gospel true. And if you're trusting in Him. Listen. Nobody has a perfect faith. But if, you're, if your faith is in Jesus for salvation. You are forgiven. No matter what you've done. You have forgiveness if your faith is in Jesus. The lies you've told. And don't tell me you've never lied. The unrighteous anger. Yeah, God's delivering us from that in our sanctification, but He's died for the sins. He's paid the penalty. And He's purchased the power to be transformed. Adultery. Forgiven. Murder, forgiven. You know who I'm using as an example there? David. David had a man killed and took his wife. Now, he had a lot of bad results of that in his family, but he was forgiven. His sin was taken away. Evil thoughts. 
See, if you're going to be saved by doing good, you have to think good as well as speak good as well as act good. It's not just about cleaning up the outside. That was the Pharisees' mistake, wasn't it? Yet full of dead men's bones. You always think the right thing and never think the wrong thing and speak the right thing and never speak the wrong thing and do the right thing and never do the wrong thing. Who in here has done that? Nobody! You need Jesus. Every sin you have ever committed is washed away. When you hear people, you might be new to Christianity and people talk about being washed in the blood and you go, eh? no, I've never done that. That... <laughs> That's just talking about his sacrifice, blood being used for the whole, his death. His death is what satisfies and cleanses our record and his righteousness clothes us. Are you trusting in Jesus, the one who died for our sins and was raised from the grave? If you are, you are forgiven. If you're not, you are not forgiven. God will only accept us through his son. And you don't want to leave this life without Him. And I know there's a lot of fear there. Man, there's things that I want to hold on to that I don't want to give up to God. Because I think these are what's really going to make me happy. It's just an illusion. Repent and trust Jesus and you will be saved, forgiven, have life here, eternal life after this life. If you want to talk about the gospel, if you need help with the gospel, if you need prayer, whatever, don't hesitate to come to us. But the gospel is Christ. Christ's life, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, and the free gift of salvation to you if you will have it. Do you have the humility to have it? If you reject it, there is no other salvation. Trust in Jesus alone. I wanted to end with a few quotes. One is just humorous. Because I thought it was funny. I want, I want to share it with you. But listen. Martin Luther believed dogs would be in heaven just like I do. All because of the resurrection. Look what he said. Martin Luther said, Be thou comforted, little dog. He's talking to his dog. Be thou comforted, little dog. Thou too in resurrection shall have a golden tail. A little more serious quote from Charles Spurgeon. Emmanuel. God with us in our nature, in our sorrow, in our life work, in our punishment, in our grave, and now with us, or rather we with Him in resurrection, ascension, triumph, and second advent splendor. Second coming splendor, if you wonder what that means. And then Martin Luther again. You can have a lot of fun reading Luther. Not, you know... In Christ we have a perfect eternal high priest who has made a perfect sacrifice for our sins and has risen victoriously from the grave. Thus, we have a perfect salvation. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I started with it, I'll end with it. Another, the last verse of in Christ alone. Because Christ has died, and because He's been raised, and because He's given us faith in Him when we're trusting in Him, this is true. No guilt in life. No fear in death. 
This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from His hand till He returns or calls me home. Here, in the power of Christ, I'll stand. He is risen. He is risen. Better. Let's pray. Father, how can we thank You for such a great salvation? How can we thank You that salvation is a free gift to us? We receive Christ by faith. We trust in Christ for our salvation. We call upon Christ. Lord, save me. Faith is simply the hand that receives the gift. Help all here to receive the gift. I pray that no soul in this room would hold on to sin and reject Jesus and, and leave this life in that condition. I pray that every soul would see the treasure, unimaginable treasure that Jesus is. A king who would sacrifice himself for us. Who would bear the wrath, the eternal hell that we deserve. Who would take that and drink that dry on the cross. Who would die paying the penalty for our sins. And who would be raised victorious on the third day for our justification, for our acceptance. Lord, give us grace, give us humility to trust in Christ and Christ alone. To say, have mercy on me, a sinful person. Save me, Lord Jesus, I trust in you. That would truly believe that he died for our sins, but also believe that he was raised from the grave. And Lord, that's a work that only you can do by your grace in our hearts. So encourage those in this room who are trusting you, maybe who are struggling deeply right now, maybe who feel like they're just barely hanging on. Lord, if we have any faith, any true faith in Christ, that is of you and you will nurture and sustain it and grow it. You died for all of our sins, including our unbelief. Help us, Lord. And those who are resisting you, bring them to repentance and faith. Save our children. Lord, have mercy. Thank you that your name is salvation. Save, Lord, we pray. We give you praise. We trust you. We thank you. We rest in you. Thank you, Father, for your Son and your Spirit who gives us eyes to see the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to trust and rest, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.